home. We present the first of a new twice-weekly series of plays, based on the short stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized by Michael Hardwick, with Carlton Hobbs as Sherlock Holmes and Norman Shelley as Dr. Watson. Now, here is Dr. Watson to introduce the case of The Dancing Man. Uh, thank you, sir. <clears throat> I have told elsewhere of the joyful return of my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Three years after his supposed death struggle with the late Professor Moriarty at the Reichenbach Falls. After his restless wanderings in the East and on the continent, he seemed content to be at anchor once more in the haven of our former lodging at 221B Baker Street where our landlady, Mrs. Hudson, proceeded, as usual, to spoil him while continuing to deplore his irregular and untidy habits. But it was not long before he had become absorbed again in his practice as a consulting detective, ready for any investigation that gave promise of stretching his remarkable powers to their limits. <laughs> I see him now, one morning, sitting in silence, his long, thin back, curved over a chemical vessel in which he was brewing a particularly malodorous product. His head was sunk upon his breast. <laughs> he looked, from my point of view, like a strange, lank bird with dull gray plumage and a black top knot. Oh, Watson, you do not propose to invest in South African securities. Hey, Holmes. How on earth do you know that? Confess yourself utterly taken aback. I am. I ought to make you sign a paper to that event. Why? Because in five minutes you'll say it's all so absurdly simple, Holmes. I shall say nothing of the kind. We shall see. There, that's done. Now, Watson, you've heard me remark before that it is not difficult to construct a series of inferences, each dependent upon its predecessor and each simple in itself. Frequently. If after doing so, one simply knocks out all the central inferences and presents one's audience with the starting point of the conclusion, one may produce a startling, though possibly a meretricious effect. Holmes, I don't quite see what all this is about. Now, it was not really difficult, by an inspection of the groove between your left forefinger and thumb, to feel sure you did not propose to invest your small capital in the gold field. What thing is I don't see any connection. When you returned from the club last night, you had chalk between your left forefinger and thumb. Well, what are it? I put it there to steady me cue. You never played billiards except with Thurston. Now, you told me four weeks ago that Thurston had an option on some South African property which would expire in a month and which he desired you to share with it. Ah. Yet your checkbook is locked in my drawer and you haven't asked for the key. Mm-hmm. Therefore, my dear Watson, you do not propose to invest your money in this owner. That's <laughs> simple, Holmes. Quite so. <laughs> Every problem becomes very childish once it's explained to you. Well, here's an unexplained one on this piece of paper. So what do you make of that? What well, on earth is it? Looks like a row of little men. Uh, one or two of them waving his flag, you see. Looks very supposed to be dancing. <laughs> Childish, all right, Holmes. It's a child's drawing of a line of dancing men. Childish enough to have terrified a young woman half out of her wits. 
And to bring our husband post-haste all the way from Norfolk to consult me? I fancy that's him on our stair now. Come in. Well, some sort of 
Oh, little men for dancing about. <gasps> Idling his time. A bit of chalk in his hand, I suppose. Uh, but uh, on the house, it's too bad. Oh! Darling. Saunders. Saunders, quick. The mistress is fainting. She didn't uh, injure herself, I hope. No. No, she was round again in a few moments. Try to make out of just a disease spell. And that long gallop on an empty stomach, you know. Yes. I was able to go on with her breakfast, and I didn't think much more about it. But after the second time... The following morning, I believe. Uh, yesterday, Mr. Holmes. Uh, uh, just after breakfast this time. Went out for a little stroll in the garden together. Quite a field again. Until we reached the sundial. That's where we found this paper I sent you. The second lot of dancing men, or whatever you call them. I picked it up and showed it her without thinking. Thought she was going to fade away again on the spot. Great heavens. Mr. Cubitt, these dancing men you found on the sundial, can you possibly say whether the drawing is the same as the one you saw on the windowsill? That crossed my mind in the train, but I, I can't say. Only took a glance at the first lot, you know. Oh, understandably. Tell me, have you heard of any strangers in your neighborhood lately? Strangers? Don't think so. I presume it's a very quiet place. Any fresh face would cause comment. Oh, bonjour. Then I suggest you return to Norfolk. But can't you advise me then? I am doing so. Go home, take an exact copy of any fresh dancing men that may appear and make discreet inquiries as to any strangers in the neighborhood. Do you reckon these drawings add up to something? Evidently. If their meaning is purely arbitrary, then it may be impossible for us to solve it. On the other hand, if it's systematic, I have no doubt we shall get to the bottom of it. Oh, good day, Mr. Cubitt. If there are any fresh developments, I shall always be ready to run down and see you in Norfolk. If that's your advice, Mr. Holmes, then... Well, good day, gentlemen. Good day. Ah, Mr. Cubitt. Come in, won't you? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Mr. Holmes, I'm sorry to return like this in less than a week, but this business is getting on my nerves. Have there been further events? There certainly have. Look, look at these. Three more sets of these figures. Thank you. Ah. All different, Holmes. Excellent. Excellent. Great, and there's everything in order, Mr. Cubitt. Well, when I got back to Riddlingthorpe after seeing you the other day, the first thing I saw was a fresh crop of dancing men flopped on the stable door. That was this one. Did you rub out the mask after copying them? Certainly. Didn't want else to see them. But... Two mornings later, there was this fresh inscription in that place. Capital. Our material is really accumulated. Uh, three days later, a message was left. Called on paper on the sundial again. Uh, this one. I reckon all this work was being done by night. So last night, I determined to sit up in my study. In the dark. With a revolver in my hand. Well, it was about two in the morning. Nothing had happened. 
And when I had the study door open quietly behind me,
Good day, gentlemen. Have you got business here? Most certainly, sir. My name is Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock? Oh, Martin, sir. Inspector Martin. Martha Constabula. How'd you do? But how could you have heard? I mean, the crime was only committed at three o'clock this morning. But what happened, Inspector? Quickly, please. Shot. Both of them. Oh, no. Mr. and Mrs. He's dead and she's... No. Oh, no. I anticipated the crime. I came in the hope of preventing it. You did? Then you mean you've got some evidence? I have. The evidence of the dancing men. The dancing? Inspector Martin, will you associate me in your investigation? Or would you prefer me to act independently? Why... I'd be very proud to feel I was working with you, Mr. Holmes. In that case, I should be glad to examine the house and hear the evidence without further delay. Well, no. The body's in the study, just as it was found. Mrs. Cooper's been taken upstairs, and the doctor's with her, but she don't hold up much hope, I hear. Well, if you'll follow me, gentlemen. Well, the question is to be, did he shoot her, and then himself, or did she shoot him, and try to do away with herself? Uh, he was lying here, dead. Just as you see him. And she was over near the window, where you see all that blood. The revolver lay about midway between them. It was the only revolver in the room? Yes. Two chambers had been fired. And the window is shut. Is that how it was found? Yes, sir. Mrs. King, the cook, will depose to all that. Yes, sir. Definitely two shots I heard. One louder. Which was the louder, Mrs. King? The first. It must have been so woke might what you heard have been two shots fired simultaneously, followed by a single shot which sounded much less loud by comparison? I'm sure I couldn't say it to that, sir. No, 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 quite. Uh, what did you do? Oh, I come downstairs. Were any lights on? I brought the candle. But how did you know which room to approach? By the smell. Smell? No one said anything to me about the smell. The smoke from the gun. As soon as I reached the hole, I could smell it. Coming from the study. So I went in. Was the door open? A bit. I went in and... And there they were. The poor master and mistress. Lion. Try not to upset yourself, Mrs. King. Mrs. King, only one more question. Yes, sir. Was there no light in the study when you entered? Only the candle. The one you were carrying? And the other one on the table near the window. Now, madam, you say there was a candle burning close to the window. Was the window open or shut? Shut, sir. You didn't shut it yourself? No, sir. I touched nothing. The candle stood here, then, and the window was shut. I don't quite see the significance of this, Holmes. Nor do I, Doctor. Here we have a revolver with two shots fired, one bullet in Kirby's heart, and the other lies near to his wife's brain. The only question is... How do you account for the bullet which so obviously struck the bottom of the window frame here? Eh? Where? Why, George, Mr. Holmes. However, however did you come to see that? Because I looked for it. Then three shots were fired, and only two of them from this revolver. So, Mr. Holmes, you mean to say there was a third person? Undoubtedly. Mrs. King's evidence told me that. But how on earth... She smelled cordite fumes as she came down into the hall. Some draft from in here must have been necessary to blow them from the room so quickly. The window must have been opened for a time, though not long enough to extinguish the candle. As I conceded, a third person stood outside the window and fired in. A shot was fired at him and struck the bottom of the window frame. Then who shot the window? Mrs. Cubitt. But she was... A woman's instinct, Inspector. Shots were fired. She sprang to the window and shut it for protection. But, but I... 
Hello? What's this? That? Who? Her handbag. Found lying near her. No message or anything. But plenty of cash. So I see. Yes. Twenty-fifty pound notes. It must be preserved as it is. It will figure in the trial. What do you make of it, sir? Now, there are several points of this problem which I've not been able to explain to you yet, and this must remain one of them. But we must act quickly. How, sir? Firstly, by searching the flower bed outside this window, where I have no doubt we shall find the spent case of the third cartridge. And then? Mr. Martin, is there any inn in this neighborhood known as Eldridge? 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 No, I can't. Hold on. There's an Eldridge's farm over to East Ruston. Is that a lonely path? Oh, very, sir. Ah, then perhaps they'll not yet have heard of all that happened here during the night. Very likely not, sir. Capital. Now, will you have the goodness to instruct one of the stable lads to saddle a horse and go there at once with a message which I shall give him? Well, I don't see you. Now, Watson, a piece of paper from that bureau, please. All right. There you are. Thank you. Now, then... Abe Slaney? Eldridge's farm? Holmes, who's Abe Slaney? You'll find out soon enough. And, uh, Inspector, mm-hmm. I think you'd do well to telegraph for an escort, as you may have to convey a particularly dangerous prisoner to the county jail. Really? The boy who takes this note could no doubt forward your telegram. <laughs> As you see, Watson, this uh, this is not my usual form of communication. Johnson, men. Now, Holmes, what the... I thought we'd wait in this morning room because it has a very pleasant view of the drive. Oh, very pretty, I'm sure. Only Make I... yourself comfortable, gentlemen. And while we await the outcome of my dispatch to East Ruston, I think I can help you to pass the time in an interesting and profitable manner. Well, to you, friend Watson, I owe every atonement for having allowed your natural curiosity to remain so long unsatisfied. Thank you, Holmes. To Mr. Martin, the whole incident may appeal as a remarkable professional study. <laughs> remarkable is the word, eh, Doctor? <laughs> I am fairly familiar with all forms of secret writing, and I am myself the author of a trifling monograph upon the subject in which I analyze 160 separate ciphers. But the use of these dancing men is entirely new to me and has been invented, apparently, to conceal that a message is being conveyed by giving the impression of random sketches by some child. I see. Now, as you are aware, E is the most common letter in the English alphabet. The figure most common in all these troops of dancing men was this little fellow with legs apart and left arm upraised. Operatic tenor taking a high C. Oh, very good, Watson. Only it's an E in this case. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking roughly, the order in which the other letters of the English alphabet tend to predominate is T, A, O, I, N, S. And so I had two messages complete, the first of which read, and here, Abe Slaney at Elridge's. Now, I had every reason to suppose that this Slaney was an American. Well, how is that, Holmes? Abe is an American contraction. Mrs. Cubitt's American origin and her reticence about her past suggested that there was some criminal secret involved. 
I therefore cabled to the New York Police Bureau, asking whether the name of Abe Slaney was known to them, and received the reply, Abe Slaney, the most dangerous crook in Chicago. Why, George? On the very evening this answer arrived, Hubert sent me the last of his dancing men messages. It read, Elsie, prepare to meet thy God. I knew there wasn't a moment to lose. Unfortunately, Watson, we did lose our moment and reached here to find that the worst had already occurred. Yes. Hello. Who's this? If I'm not mistaken, Abe Slaney. What? What's he doing here? I invited him. Well, he doesn't know it, does I? Powerful looking gentleman, isn't he? I've given instructions that he should be directed immediately to this room. So, I suggest we take our positions behind the door. You need your handcuffs, Inspector. Very good. But you can leave the talking to me. Nothing. Take him. What? Right. What the? Nothing. Come out of here. Okay. Okay. So somebody got the drop on each lady at last. But who are you guys? Where's Elsie? Into this chair with him. Mrs. Hilton Kilbert is seriously wounded. What? She may die. Are you crazy? He shot at me and I shot at him. You think I'd have touched her hair or else he's head? She was mine. Who did this cubic guy think he was taking her away from me? He did not take her. Huh? She broke away from our country and you when she discovered the kind of man you are. Uh, but you had to dog her steps to England and threaten her. Well, Sadie, you caused the death of an innocent man and driven his wife to attempt suicide. Suicide? Oh, uh, <laughs> Now I know you're crazy. Say, if she's hurt so bad, how did she write this? Telling me to get over here first. I wrote it. <laughs> Look, Elsie's par, old Patrick, invented this dancing man code, and nobody outside the gang knew it. What one man can invent, another can discover. Her father was in the gang with you, you say? Sure, he was the boss. Now you know what's in her past. Eh? I also know that she expected you to come here last night and had a thousand pounds ready to offer you if you'd leave her and her husband in peace. Huh? But he was waiting here, too. Wasn't he, Slaney? Look, it, it, it was self-defense, I tell you. He shot at me first. And hit the window frame. You shot back through the open window simultaneously and killed him. A servant thought both shots were one. You fled. Mrs. Cubitt sprang to the window and shut it, then picked up her husband's gun and turned it on herself. From remorse, I dare say, for bringing him to his death. If she recovers, she may yet have to face the charge of murdering her husband. What? The least that you owe her is to make it clear to the whole world that she was in no way directly or indirectly responsible for his tragic end. Okay. I ask nothing better. I guess you fellas are cops. All right, you can take me. I won't try anything. I guess I've done enough. I'll bring in a couple of my constables then. Mr. Holmes, I only hope... If ever I have an important case again, I'll have the good fortune to have you by my side. Thank you, Inspector. The credit shall be yours. For myself, there has been the satisfaction of a singular inquiry. As to my friend Watson, <laughs> I think that I provided you with something unusual for your notebook. Yes, indeed. Then come along. Three forties, our train. I fancy we should be back in Baker Street. In time for dinner.
The Dancing Men by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was adapted for radio by Michael Hardwick. The part of Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Hilton Cubitt, Humphrey Morton, Elsie Cubitt, Anne Murray. Mrs. Hudson, Janet Morrison, Inspector Martin, Fred Yule, Mrs. King, Janet Hitchman, Abe Slaney, John Bentley, Hunt, John Gray. The production was by Graham Gould. The next play in this series, A Case of Identity, can be heard at 8.15 on Thursday on Radio 2. <laughs>